Hi, CityCast listeners. The Shamrock Hotel was torn down decades ago, but even so, it looms large in Houston legend, with a swimming pool big enough for water skiing and a club where the likes of Frank Sinatra played. It was the most glamorous place in 1940s and 50s Texas, the biggest, ritziest hotel and club that oil money could buy. Talking with me about it today are David Bush and Jim Parsons, the executive director and programs director of Preservation Houston. It is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, Jim and David, how are y'all? I'm good. How are, how are you, Jim? I'm nice and calm. <laughs> All right, y'all, let's talk about the Shamrock Hotel and just the splendid tackiness of thereof. I, I'm going to disappoint you because oh, no. after okay. reading about the Shamrock now for the past three days, ever since we started talking about this, I don't think the shamrock was uh-huh. that tacky. I think the legend made it that tacky. But if you read about it, it really wasn't bad. All right. Well, let's let's go back and like set it sure. up for people who have no idea what the Shamrock Hotel is. So let's start in what? Like 1945? 49. 49 was when it opened. Okay. So Houston was coming mm-hmm. out of World War II. Um, a much smaller city, about... 600,000 people, hadn't quite broken 600,000 people. Um, There was a very colorful oil man named Glenn McCarthy. Um, He decided the city needed another hotel. And it really did because there weren't, there hadn't been any hotels built in Houston since the 1920s because of the depression and the war. Um, He built it on what was considered really far from downtown at that point, about four miles south of downtown, out by the medical center. And the medical center was there at that point. So the city was growing out in that direction. It wasn't like it was just alone on the prairie, which is how it's described sometimes. All right. So like, who was Glenn McCarthy? And, and Houston was awash in oil money right then, right? Um, yeah, there was, there was, a, there was a, a fair amount of money here. Um, And McCarthy had actually been, he had run a dry cleaner, a dry cleaning store in the early 30s and then got into wildcatting, discovered an uh, an oil field out by Anahuac and by 1938 Uh had built a $750,000 estate. Which was big, big big money. Big money in the depression, which which was actually just a few blocks from where the Shamrock was built. So during World War II, he bought 15 acres out on, out on the south uh, end of town and decided to build this massive resort. It was a luxury hotel, but it was really a resort right on the edge of the city. And the legend, you know, is that Glenn McCarthy was like this larger-than-life Texas oil man, right? I want to go back for a second because there is some context here. Um, in the uh-huh. 30s, there were these big oil fortunes that were being made across the state. Uh, you had the Hunts in Dallas. You had Hugh Roy Cullen in Houston. People were having these spectacular oil discoveries and becoming incredibly wealthy overnight. Now, those families tended to be 
and this is all relative, they tended to be lower key. Then you had Glenn McCarthy come along. He got really rich overnight and was not shy about it. So, uh, you know, Glenn McCarthy kind of became the, the stereotypical Texas oil man because he was willing to fill that role. And he enjoyed filling yeah. that role. I mean, he, he... He liked it. Yeah. He earned a lot of money and he lost a lot of money. <laughs> he, uh-huh. he, was, he was up yeah. and down <laughs> a lot. Well, so... He, and he, and he he would spend yeah. lavishly, uh, you know. He I mean, David mentioned his seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house, which was a lot of money in the late nineteen thirties, and that was the result of a lot of budget overruns. When it was first announced, I think they announced it was going to be a three hundred thousand dollar house, and then by the time it was all over, it was three quarters of a million dollars. But you know, he was very much the I don't know if he had horns on the front of his car, but he was definitely the type to you know drive a big Cadillac, dress in flashy suits you know, show off because why not? Mm-hmm. And so like, I think of him as the character in giant, mm-hmm. you know, the, the James Dean, you know, guy who's been mistreated by the ranch owning gentry who has a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. I, I don't know about the chip on his shoulder. The, the giant thing is, is interesting. Edna Ferber was in Texas. The novelist who wrote it. Uh huh. About the time the hotel opened. She denied she was researching. Um, she never said he was, he was jet ring. In the fifties, the papers started saying rumor has it that he was the model for jet ring and that Edna Ferber never confirmed that by the sixties, the papers were just saying he was the model for jet ring. And about that time, after the movie came out, he just flat said, I'm the model for Jet Ring. <laughs> and he was happy about it. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like he got insulted by that. He just owned it. Right. So, yeah. So whether or not it was originally true, it was the right. legend and that it, he liked. It became the truth. Okay, so let's talk about the Shamrock. What did the opening look like? St. Patrick's Day, 1949, he he brought in a trainload of, they called them movie stars, and there were a few movie stars. There were also a lot of, like, B-level character actors uh, filling, filling things <laughs> out. Um, it was also the premiere of the first movie that Glenn McCarthy produced. He had founded Glenn McCarthy Productions and, and was going to make movies. He was really trying to get his name all over the country. It wasn't just making a mark in Houston. He wanted to make a mark all over. And the hotel was was sort of the landmark for that. This 18-story building, sort of art deco, outside of town, uh, huge swimming pool, tennis mm-hmm. courts, putting green. Glamorous, just very intentionally glamorous. And it, it's sort of Hollywood glamour, not low-key, uh-huh. rich Texas glamour, Hollywood glamour tied into Texas. And this whole thing where, because the Shamrock was because McCarthy was Irish. So there's a whole lot of Shamrocks and green throughout the hotel. Yeah. Okay, but what did the Shamrock look like inside? Inside, what the lines you'll see is there were 63 shades of green in the hotel. 
And that, that's not really the case. It was designed by a, a fairly prominent interior designer. I will say what, what David and I have been talking about over the last couple of days is, was it as tacky as everybody says? Probably in the context of 1949, maybe not. It was over the top and it was showy, but it was also a luxury hotel. I mean, there might have been some things in there that we would have kind of looked at and said, well, that's unusual. But, you know, at the time they were they were using new and exciting materials. You know, every everything was uh, kind of right in line with with what you would expect if you went to a really fancy hotel. Yeah. So what was the scene at the Shamrock like as it became part of Houston? Well, the court club was definitely something. The hotel in general, they called Houston's Riviera, which kind of goes back to what David said about it being this slice of Hollywood or, or <laughs> Miami or wherever. Um, and, you know, it, it was the place that celebrities would stay when they came into town. Um, if you could afford to stay there when you came into town, you would stay there. But it was also a place that Houstonians went to hang out to say that they had been to the Shamrock. Now, it wasn't the kind of place that you would just go on a whim for most people because it was expensive. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing people forget is at that point, you couldn't sell liquor by the drink in Texas. You had to be a member of a private club. And that was the Cork Club, which actually was named after County Cork in Ireland, not the cork of a liquor bottle. And um, <laughs> well, we, we think the way it worked with the hotel was if you were a guest at the hotel, you were a member of the club and could get alcohol. So, so that was another big yeah. selling point before the Shamrock. Um, the, the court club had a dining room and, you know, it had a shower and stuff because it was a men's club, really. But it's, it's one of its rooms was the Western room and the floors were covered in leather strips. It, the rugs were woven leather strips and the walls uh -huh. were tooled leather. And the story is if, if a member dropped his cigarette and burned the floor, they had a branding iron that they would come burn a, a cattle brand into the floor to cover up the little scars <laughs> from cigarettes. You could only do that so many times to have any floor left. But my favorite room in the court club was the Eden room where the rug had supposedly uh, precious metals woven into it, and the walls had three-dimensional acrylic nudes. So George Furman said it was one of the only <laughs> places in the world where you could walk on gold and observe three-dimensional acrylic nudes, which is probably true. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And this was where, like, Frank Sinatra mm -hmm. played, you know, and right? It was it was where Maxine Messenger, the sort of ring-a-ding, rat pack gossip columnist, hung out. 
It was where Dorothy Shea, the Park Avenue hillbilly, performed her hit song, <laughs> Uncle Fudd. Um, on opening night, by the way. You're saying that like it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. So you have, you know, you have the full spectrum from the Park Avenue hillbilly to newcomers like Frank Sinatra. But yeah, it was it was the place that you would want to play. They had a radio show that went out uh, from the Shamrock. It was Saturdays mm-hmm. at the Shamrock, right? Or Saturday at the Shamrock. So it got a name for itself all over the country from the entertainment, but also from the stories about that big opening party and it just sort of, the, the shamrock kind of became shorthand for mid-century oil wealth in Texas. And that was really exciting to Houstonians because, you know, back then, just like now, we sort of felt like people never paid enough attention to us. So when people were paying attention to something here, we got really excited. It also drove Dallas crazy, which is a point of pride for me, uh, because Dallas wasn't getting the attention <laughs> that the shamrock was getting, and they hated it. Yeah. So... Okay, oil money comes and goes, and it completely was gone in the 1980s, right? Which was when the Shamrock ran into financial trouble. It had been sold to Hilton Hotels. It had been sold to Hilton in the 50s. McCarthy ran into financial trouble before Houston ran into financial trouble. He was good at making money, but he was not so good at hanging on to money. And really, he overextended himself in an interesting way. <laughs> uh, the There were Eastern financiers who would offer loans to Texas oil men because they said, you know, everything these guys do makes a fortune. So if we loan them money, we're going to get that back in spades. The Texas oil men said, well, you know, we don't need loans. McCarthy was happy to take a loan. So he ended up, even though he was wealthy himself, he took on so much debt that he kind of ended up upside down. And part of it was just being excessive is the hotel was expensive, but then, you know, they'd finish something, he'd get a new idea and he'd have him rip it out and put something new in. So he didn't have a whole lot of self-control sometimes. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there were reasons why, why he ran out of money. You know, all, all of Houston was hurting, but the Shamrock especially, its its location ended up hurting it in that there were other new and exciting things that were built in other parts of town, like the Galleria. So the same people who a few years before might have checked into the Shamrock and spent a weekend there hanging out, they might go to the Galleria and check into one of the Galleria hotels and never leave there. Uh, so so you, you had increasing competition. And I think that's where the idea was that the Shamrock was kind of just sitting out there on the prairie by itself because it ended up not being in one of the hot parts of town. Yeah. Yeah. So in the 1980s, it wasn't making money. And what happened then? Hilton donated it to the medical center. So they got a tax break. Yeah. And so after that, the Texas Medical Center tore it down and used the lot for parking for a long time, which really upset Houstonians. There were protests, I remember, and complaints. And you could argue that it even set off the preservation movement in Houston. Do you have any closing thoughts on what we still have left of the Shamrock? You know, it's a sh- for some reason, there aren't really color photos of the Shamrock, and it really would be interesting to see them, and it would sort of help help do away with this image of this big 
green monstrosity <laughs> sitting out on the prairie. Um, I would say one thing when we when we talk about you know the fond memories Houstonians have of it and, and the time spent out there. Twenty percent of the city could not legally go into the Shamrock. Black Houstonians could not dine at its restaurants. They could not rent a room at the hotel. They they could not go in the swimming pool. So there, you know, yeah, there are a lot of Houstonians who have fond memories of it, but there are also Houstonians who, who really couldn't get in the front door. Just to, to go off on the fond memories, it is the building that if you ask Houstonians who have been here for a certain amount of time, if you ask what's the thing that you miss, what's the thing you wish hadn't been torn down, the shamrock is, you know, there's a 99% chance that's what they're going to say because it still looms large in Houston story. You know, one of the criticisms of Houston ongoing is we don't we don't treasure what we have, you know, we don't we don't really have a sense of place. Things like the shamrock are buildings and places that can focus that sense of community pride and that makes it even more of a shame that it's gone whatever you think of it whether you think it was tacky or whether you think it was classy or whatever it, it's it's not going to come back yeah all right y'all thank you so much for talking with me that was david bush and jim parsons of preservation houston now i am here with producer carly on jones carly what else is going on today in houston hey lisa well, I have some exciting news for the Megan Thee Stallion fans out there. The Houston hottie is putting her acting chops to use yet again and is officially joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The rap star is said to be making an appearance in Disney Plus's She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Right now, there are no further details about who exactly Megan will be playing, but what we can confirm is that she's making her hometown of Houston, Texas very proud. <laughs> That is it for our show today. Please, if you like what you heard, tell a friend to check this show out. We will be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. And I'm trying to be overly perky, so let's, uh, that'll be fun. I got dragged, I got dragged out of my house. I haven't had time to have coffee. I'm doing great, Lisa. How are you? <laughs>